Today on the podcast, we're joined by Ben Felton, or Ben is running. Thanks for having me on. Been a long time coming. Yeah, the part, well, mainly my fault for that. I think we've been discussing doing a podcast for probably almost a year, really, of uh, yeah. me messaging, saying, let's do a podcast, and then it just, just never... Just the busy schedules together, isn't it? Yeah, you're busy. You're, you're a busy guy, travelling around oh, a indeed. lot with uh, yeah, yeah. different things. Which, eh? I know, we'll get into that on the podcast, because I think what you've done especially from a uk perspective you're probably the first to kind of do it to the level that you're doing like in america you've got like seth james d moore kafuzi who go around quite a lot whereas in the yeah. uk um obviously you've got people like ben parks and stuff but i feel like for you i feel like you've been engaged the most with a lot of different brands on youtube and sort of brand collaborations um which again we'll get into the podcast so for anyone who doesn't know do you want to give yourself a brief introduction seeing as though you are media trained you know what you're talking about yeah so. sure um so my name's ben um and my running is all documented um across my social media channels mainly on youtube and a bit on instagram um as you just said alfie as as ben is running um that's sort of my brand and and how people people know me as um and i started off running in seriously in the um the lockdown actually the covid lockdown um that was when i first started to to sort of train a lot more and I thought oh, I need something to do while I'm furloughed from my day job at the time which was working um, as a chef in a cafe um, so I started making YouTube videos um, I've always made sort of YouTube videos there's some um, content on my channel that isn't running related so if you want to scroll back for two or three years you can watch some some vlogs that I used to make when I was at university um, just for a bit of fun um, but when I started making running YouTube content and um, that's when people started to take a bit more of an interest and um, yeah, I've been doing it ever since. Um, fast forward a, a year, a year and a half and it's become my full-time job. So yeah, very privileged position. Um, absolutely love documenting the process of, of training and racing and um, yeah, you can find all that sort of stuff online um, under the Ben is running handle. So build, building a YouTube can be quite pain, painful at times, as I'm sure you're aware, editing a lot and sort of, you know, there's always a talk about if anyone doesn't know YouTube, you get like a graph where it says like one of one or 10 of 10. And it's like the video yeah. performance. Some of that is very painful. So did it sort of happen organically for you to transition to running content? And then you realized, OK, I can progress this further and then turn it into a career. Or did you kind of force yourself down that path in hope to eventually have that happen, basically? Um, I can't really remember why I started doing it, to be honest with you. I think it was just a bit of fun to keep me. Um, occupied while I basically had nothing other than going out for a run to do in in the daytime during the the COVID lockdown um, and I'd made a couple of videos where I was just talking about my running my training uh, my goals for the year and then I made I think it's my third video in terms of third running related video um, I made sort of a top tips video on how to improve your 5k um, and that video for some reason just took off um, and brought a lot of uh, external traffic to the channel and it's sort of grown sort of slowly but um, enough over the last few years to, to yeah sustain a bit of a, a bit of an income from that and um, yeah as long as I've stayed consistent in terms of making content I tend to make two or three videos a week um, I found that the growth of the the channel has been has been slow but but pretty steady. Was there a specific time you can remember where it transitioned from you're making videos to you want to commit to it exactly like was there ever like a light bulb moment where you're like I, I really yeah. can do this yeah there was actually um I think one time I was looking at my AdSense which is what if you don't know uh, how YouTube works is how um they pay you based on the advertising they put in front of your videos um but I think one month I earned about 200 pounds from from the ad revenue and it was mainly from that 5k top tips video um and it was a bit more it was a bit of like a a light at the end of the tunnel type thing I wasn't really enjoying my day job um it was quite a stressful environment and I wasn't able to to run and train as much as I want just as a result of of working in the kitchen um long hours so when I saw that I'd, I'd earned 200 pounds from doing something which was a hobby at the time and something that I really enjoyed doing I was like I've got to give this a go um and see like where I can take it um so yeah after about a few months of of getting some some solid money from from YouTube, 200, 300 pounds, that type thing. I thought, right, I'm going to give this job up um, and go into making content and 
and the YouTube side of things a bit more full time and hopefully it will pay off. Um, and I was expecting that to take around like six months for me to sort of start making enough money to be able to pay the bills and, and the rent and that sort of thing. Um, but I was thankful that it kind of, as I put more time into it, it, it took off um, pretty pretty quickly. And yeah, thankfully, that, looking back at it now, that was the right decision. Um, and that was in November last year. So I've basically been full-time on YouTube now for, for just over a year. Done my first tax return this year. So um, yeah, exciting stuff. And with that, so obviously you get AdSense and receiving the first AdSense is kind of crazy because it's like I'm, I'm making videos and I'm earning money for making videos, yeah. but something was probably started as a hobby. So when you did leave your uh, day job as a chef, were you like, this is the path I want to go down, this is the structure I'm going to follow? Or was it kind of like, I'm going to stick to making content and then the trickle-down effect will grow? Or did you have like a set plan where I need to do these videos, I need to do these specific races to follow my training and stuff like that? Or was it just quite continue what I'm doing, obviously more consistency and it'll grow naturally? Yeah, it was it was mainly just um, to try and make more videos because obviously working a job, you're constrained by the amount of time you have. Um, and and making YouTube videos does take a fair bit of time and um, probably more than, than most people realise. You've got to film it, which sometimes will take a full day. And then when it comes to editing, depending on how quick you are in, in the editing process, it can take anything from four to ten hours per video. So, yeah, basically when I left my, my day job, I was like, just try and make more content. Um, so I was, I was probably averaging maybe one video every two weeks before I um, left my job. And then when I gave up my job, I had all this free time um, and started making three, I think three videos a week was what I sort of tried to maintain, um, especially during the first few months when I was trying to grow the channel um, to try and earn a little bit of an income. Um, so yeah, it's mainly just trying to inc increase the amount of videos I made and, and stay consistent. And taking a step back from the YouTube side of things, just your personal running as a whole, that has progressed substantially um, from distances of the 5K, 10K, half marathon and marathon. So like, yeah. where did where was your running journey at the time of leaving the job as a chef? And how have you um, sort of progressed since then? Yeah, it was... So I started running in 2019 um, just, as, just to meet new people. I actually moved to Stockholm in Sweden um, with my girlfriend so I just wanted to meet some some new people so I went along to a running club um, and found out that I, I really enjoyed the running side of things and was running probably maybe two or three times a week at the time um, and then when we moved back to the UK during the COVID pandemic um, sort of I got the opportunity to basically train like a full-time athlete because I was no longer doing my job um, and that's when I really sort of got into the the proper training side of things um, can't remember my exact times at the time but um I was always sort of I always linked my my running to parkrun and um, that was where I first got into it um and I love going down every week test myself see how fast I could run compared to the previous week um and I was probably around the 18 minute mark for 5k when I first started documenting the um the journey on YouTube um and last year broke 15 minutes for 5k for the first time so Gradually over time with the training, um, I've built that up and the times have come down pretty much across all the distances now. And yeah, long may it continue, hopefully. That's quite remarkable. Like if you think about it, if anyone else is listening and wanted to get down to 18, down to 14, obviously most people's perspective listening to this podcast have probably been running for a substantial amount of time. And that kind of step is very hard to achieve in that amount mm -hmm. of time. So I feel like, I think that's credit to you as well as maybe credit to you actually documenting it to give you motivation and discipline to get better because that kind of yeah co correlates directly with your career it technically if you're better at running you probably would get some more views from that aspect yeah. of things so and I loved what you said in the video you said you've got to carry a camera in the back of your shorts to film and unfortunately yeah. that will that might slow you down a bit but it's not what pays the bills it's filming what yeah, pays exactly. the bills so yeah. so where's your where's your trade-off with uh, running performance and training I'm guessing priority is always videoing um, but yeah how do you sort yeah. of structure that um, I think when I first started the YouTube side of things um, the priority was documenting everything um, so I would take my uh, little camera it's called it Insta360 in every race I did and document it um, I'd film the start maybe a little bit during the race um, and then always when I'm crossing the line um, 
But now as things have progressed a little bit in terms of my training, it's got a little bit more serious and more focused on, on breaking these sort of goals. Um, I tend not to uh, carry the camera with me as much. So for example, if it's a key race um, and I'm trying to break a certain time, I'll just um, get somebody to come along and hopefully film some of the race. Um, I'm also lucky now that I've gained a little bit of a following that if people are at these races, I can ask um, for people just to film on their, like, on their phones. And I usually, if I'm doing like a big major event, I can usually get about three or four people along the course um, to film some sort of aspect of the of the race. So I'm quite lucky in that, that respect that I don't really have to carry the camera as much anymore. Um, so I can focus a little bit more on the running performance because, yeah, there's no doubt that holding the camera and trying to, trying to run as fast as you possibly can does slow you down a little bit not hugely I think a lot less than people would 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 think so for example in the in my first marathon the Copenhagen marathon I probably for the 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 run took me two and a half hours to complete and for maybe only a minute two minutes of the race I was actually filming so if you think about it in as a percentage of the actual race the majority of it I'm just fully focused on running as fast as I possibly can um and then, yeah, occasionally getting the camera out to just film, I don't know, key key moments in the race, going through the halfway, that sort of thing. Um, so it's not too much of a of a hassle. That's what I also find amazing about your videos is the fact that they can be, you know, in the, you know, between like tw- 10 to 20 minute range quite often. And yeah, the, fact that, that. the fact that the, the majority of the content is actually you speaking before and after, it shows that you don't have to just film the running content people actually care about what you're doing and your thoughts on it and i think that's one of the most powerful things like you building a fan base as well as a following is you can do that because people tune in for you whereas that might be different to let's say a sweat elite for example where people tune in to watch the elite athletes train and i think that's really interesting because it's without getting too down the rabbit hole of building a brand it's probably a lot more beneficial for you to have that personal relationship with your followers rather than just them care about the sessions, which is yeah, yeah, kind of a cool thing because you progressed from obviously not a slow runner because 18 minutes is still phenomenal for a 5K in the scheme of things, but you progressed yeah. with your followers and that must be something that you feel, feel pretty good about, like the fact that you've got fans, which is yeah, kind of cool yeah, to think I'm about. Pretty lucky actually that people sort of subscribed when I had maybe 1,000, 2,000 subscribers and they still watch all my videos now. So when they see me line up for my... I don't know, my next race, they know the sort of journey that I've already been on to get to that point. Um, they watched me when I ran a 40 minute 10K and now I can I'm closer to 30 minutes. So yeah, it's, it's been really good to sort of have people on board to to keep me accountable as well and interact with them in the as part of a running community. I've always tried to uh, main, maintain a good relationship with people that subscribe to my channel. So um, for example, when I post a video for the first two or three hours I'll always be in the comment section just replying back to people so there's probably about uh, I'd say 30 40 people that subscribe to my YouTube channel that I now have regular conversations with just through watching my um, content whether it's me offering advice on a pair of shoes or um, just them saying good luck with your next next race it's like it's really nice to to have that um, that side of things and it definitely keeps me motivated to, to keep it up how many subscribers are you on roughly now on uh, YouTube? Uh, I think just about four, to hit 40,000. I think 39,000 at the moment. Um, so, so sorry, go on. Yeah, so yeah, growing growing slowly. I think it's grown about 2,000 uh, subscribers a month at the moment, which is, yeah, a good tra- trajectory at the moment. That's, that's really good because, again, if they're retaining viewers, then you, your viewers will just creep up as well, which is ideally yeah. what you want on a YouTube Um the thing I was asking that because do you have it at races where a remarkable amount of people recognize you to say like you've got 40,000 subscribers, which in a scheme of YouTube celebrities who have millions, it's not yeah. that much. But in the micro environment of running where everyone kind of knows everyone, has there been any yeah. moments where you're like blown away by the fact that people come up to you a lot and say, oh, I watch your videos? Yeah. and it's Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like you said, the running world is so small, so... Um, when I started making the YouTube videos, occasionally I'd get recognised at my local park run. People would say, "Oh, I love your videos," that sort of thing. Um, but now, whenever I go to to any races, um, I usually get a few people come and say, "Oh, I absolutely love your video. You got me 
into running again. Um, some people have said like they they stopped running for like five or six years. They stumbled across my channel and now they're out there. They're running their local park run or they're lining up for a marathon again, which yeah, I find pretty pretty inspirational um, from for myself. Um, but one standout moment, um, which was like a real pinch me moment, was I was actually working at the um, London Marathon Expo this year um, with on running. I do a bit of um, tech repping as as a part time job. Um, and this guy came up to me with his family and were like, we absolutely love like your YouTube videos. We sit down and watch them all as a family. Like all the kids were a fan of the channel. Um, and this was at the exact time that Elliot Kipchoge was up on the stage um, giving a speech to like the press. And this this guy had absolutely no idea who Elliot Kipchoge was. And he was just interested in having a conversation with me while I'm trying to trying to listen to what <laughs> Elliot's saying. Um, and that was, yeah, a bit of a pinch me moment thinking like, wow, my actual influence in this little tiny running sphere is, is quite, is quite high. I only, I know I only have 40,000 subscribers, which on YouTube is, is very small, is a very small channel, but on the running side of things, because it is such a niche, um, yeah, whenever I go to, to events, um, it's still, it always feels a little bit, bit heightened in terms of the following. That is an amazing feeling. Like it doesn't get old either. Like as daft as it is i understand if you're a celebrity when you've got paparazzi following you around and every second people are asking for pictures but when you go Mm. to races and people come up to you and go oh i watch your content or i listen to the podcast because you've got a podcast now as well that's a whole different type of audience it's just it's just an amazing feeling because you're changing lives and it's hard to sometimes actually process that because like you said people who have not ran get back into running and it's and you're just inspiring so many people you've got quite a, a big weight on your shoulders now where if you didn't upload videos for a certain time, that would affect people's lives to some degree, which is quite yeah, a lot of pressure. Right. Yeah, I do. Occasionally when I have a little bit of a break from the YouTube side of things, people message me being like, when's the next video? We've been waiting for this for, for a long time. And I'm like, whoa, okay. I didn't realize there's like that sort of people are, are like waiting for my next upload, which is yeah, crazy to think. And then not people that are, uh, like even in the country there's people across the world which is yeah even crazier to think that people in like australia and in new zealand or whatever are regularly watching my videos and, and interacting with the content that i put out do you still think about that when you're filming like do you think you're speaking to thousands of people or do you just still think you're speaking to a camera and just a camera like how, how yeah. do you sort of navigate navigate that I don't feel like anything's changed in terms of, I still feel like I'm speaking. I try and when I'm speaking to camera, I kind of just try to um, pretend I'm having a conversation with a friend or a training partner or something like that. I try not to think of there's potentially like, I don't know, 20, 30,000 people going to be watching this YouTube video because I think I'd probably uh, stumble on my words quite a bit thinking of, of the audience. So yeah, I just, nothing's really changed in terms of how I film my videos and just keep them nice and conversational. Try not to be too like, robotic um, and try and share as much of of my personality as as I can Um, and I think that's what people resonate with they don't really care for like super cinematic running content as much as it's really great to watch what they really want to know is is what you had for breakfast or like how did you prepare for a race what was your taper session Um, how do you tie your shoelaces all these little tiny things that um, people can then apply to their own running Um, and even even if they're just little tips and tricks that they can apply to to how they race or train then um yeah they can basically get added value from from the content that i put out it's ridiculous how many people care about how to tie shoelaces some of the most popular running videos on youtube yeah. are how to do the runners not the runners and i'm not. like i'm like yeah. i need to do that video but it's just been made too many times but it's yeah, it's, definitely it's remarkable speaking about running laces um i did want to include this because you were probably in a lucky position to try considerably more amounts of shoes than most people in the world yeah sure obviously you've obviously reviewed a lot of shoes so i would i wanted to do a segment where we talk about running shoes specifically what are some of your favorites at the minute and then also we'll break down categories and talk about what you think some of the best are for everyone else to wear in like daily training sessions and stuff like that so sure what are some of your favorites at the minute just generally could be a training shoe could be a racing shoe could be a mileage shoe I know the gel Nimbus 25 yeah, so is, is not a secret shoe anymore, but so we can talk about that as well. Shoe. Yeah, we can. Um, yeah, I've been trying that one out for the last two or three weeks. Um, it's a really solid daily trainer. I think it's going to be 
a good competitor to the the Invincible from from Nike. That's probably one of my favourite uh, daily trainers. It's just nice and soft and protects the legs, especially when I'm doing my marathon training. I'm quite often on my easy run days. I'm quite often quite beat up, um, so I want something that's going to be quite protective. Um, so I, at the moment, my easy day shoes. I've been using the, the Asics Gel Nimbus 25, which for for an Asics shoe, uh, I was really surprised at how well I got on with that. The the daily trainers that they've put out for the last, I don't know, five to 10 years have been a little bit on the boring side of things, but I really enjoyed that. Very comfortable, um, a good amount of cushioning and yeah. And um, sort of the daily running shoe that I've used despite not, not reviewing for the, for a long period of time has been the, the cloud monster from on. Um, I don't know what that is, what it is about that shoe, but it, it just seems to fit my, my foot strike really well. Um, and I just find it so comfortable. Um, and I find that my average pace for my easy runs is about five seconds a kilometer quicker in, in the cloud monster. Um, so it's just, it's a nice little confidence boost putting that shield on knowing that I'm going to have a good run. Um, so yeah, those, those three are the sort of easy day shoes that I rotate between at the moment. Um, when it comes to, to carbon, um, I've been really fortunate this year to basically try, uh, almost every brand's carbon racing shoe, um, and when it comes to, to racing shoes now, I think a, a few years ago, it was the Nike Vaporfly. That was the out-and-out sort of racing shoe of choice. If you didn't have that shoe on your foot, you basically were going to be at a disadvantage. But I think now, like the likes of Asics, New Balance, uh, even Saucony this year with the Pro 3, the Adidas Pro 3 as well, they've all sort of caught up. Um, and they're kind of all on like a play, uh, level playing field now. So it all comes down to preference. Um, and depending on the race distance, I choose different shoes. Still, for me, for the for the marathon distance, I prefer the Alpha Fly just because it's a bit more protective. Um, but for any any of the other shorter distances, I often use the Vaporfly from Nike. But I think like the the Puma Fast R is a great shoe for five ten k as well. Um, and yeah, like I said, the Saucony Pro Three is 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 probably the most comfortable of of the lot. Um, yep. So there's there's like a a good range out there now that people can basically pick what what they like and what they're looking for i think it's hard as well to when you're a shoe review and you get lots of shoes to justify changing from something what you know like like you've said with the vaporfly mm. and alpha flight you know how good they are and you've raced in them prior yeah. so for a shoe to come along and make you want to change for a race day can be quite a big well a very big challenge because i've, yeah, I've sure. worn uh, for example, the Adios Pro 3, I really like, but I wouldn't race in it. But then I, I was forced mm. to race in it for a brand deal and I ran really well and won the race. But even still, I wouldn't trust myself to go over that over the Vaporfly, even though yeah. it, might, it might be better for me. So it's it's hard to sort of pick and choose. Obviously, for training, you can get away with training in any and pretty much feel exactly the same. But on race yeah. day with the, the fine margins, it is very hard. I'm interested. It comes down to you've confidence, done... really, doesn't it? Like you want to know that you're yeah. you're going to perform well in the shoe, and if you've not had the opportunity to race in it before, you're always going to go back to the to the Vaporfly that you know is going to is going to perform well regardless of of the conditions, really. Yeah, and I'm interested for your take on this. Two things, actually. I've got a, not a bone to pick with you, but I want to know how on earth do you wear the Asics um, LD spike over the Dragonfly? Oh yeah, because yeah. I was like when I was. I don't like it at all. You don't? Um, no. Well, it's a good spike, but compared to the Dragonfly, it's, it's nothing for me. But some people swear by it. Same with the Metaspeed Sky. Yeah, uh, so I, I think want... just for me, when it comes to track racing, um, I think mainly because I do a lot of road running, um, I tend to heel strike a little bit to, towards the end of races when I'm sort of getting fatigued and pushing it to the limit. Um, and I just find the, the Metaspeed LD has got a little bit more cushioning in the back. It feels more like a... Uh, a trainer rather than a, an out-and-out out racing flat. I think when it comes to out-and-out out performance, the Nike Dragonfly is still the best spike out there. But when it comes to, to comfort, especially in longer track races like 5,000, 10,000 metres, um, I just find that I have a lot, bit more confidence with the, with the ASICS shoe just because it offers me a little bit more cushioning and I still find it super fast um, uh, spike. So, yeah, that's been my preference, um, mainly just the comfort really and and other than the on cloud monster which i agree it's a shoe but i actually can't pinpoint why i love it so much because it's not yeah, it's particularly soft one, it's not particularly it? responsive but i love it no. 
Is there any yeah. other shoes you think fall into that category where they're like underrated, but you kind of love? Yeah, um, I think the Hocker Mac 4, I know that's they've now brought out the Mac 5, but I think the Mac 4 for me was probably one of my favourite shoes of all time. Um, I just, again, found that really worked well for me. Super lightweight, um, good amount of cushioning, and you can just get a lot of easy miles done. Um, so that would probably, I'd put that in the same category as the Monster, really. And is, is there any shoes at the minute that you're not allowed to talk about what you're currently testing or is everything is everything now out? I know that the Mizuno zebra shoe, you're not allowed to say the name yeah. of, as you, well, which is weird because it's everywhere. Apparently you're to say it now because someone leaked it in America or something like that. So you can you can say it out loud now. But that was one I was testing. Um, and yeah, recently I was testing the the Asics gel, gel Nimbus in the pure white colorway. And we weren't allowed to say the name of that. We had to call it a mystery shoe. And one of the only things we're allowed to say in terms of um, like specifications is it's the comfiest shoe ever. It's that's their campaign for this one. It's like um, nothing feels comf more comfortable, something like that. Um, and it, to be fair to Asics, it it does live up to that. It's very very comfortable in terms of the upper. Um, but yeah, not not testing any other shoes at the moment. Um, hopefully soon I'll get a pair of the the Nike Invincible Three, which is going to come out at the end of February. Um, so I'm looking forward to testing that one, but nothing else at the moment. I think at this time of the year, it's a little bit quiet in terms of um, yeah. shoe reviews. And and how do you sort of go about the commercial opportunities? So we saw you do the ASICS event, for example. Um, is that through you reaching out or them reaching out to you? And then how does that process go? And where do you decide what to do and maybe what not to do? Yeah, um, the majority of the brand relationships that I have started with me um emailing them and saying i'm really really enjoy your product would you be interested in working together um, and it usually starts with uh, a company like asics sending me a pair of shoes to make a video on so there's no transaction there in terms of um, monetary gain and it's purely just so i don't have to pay for the shoe which is is a really nice position to be the company then get a good bit of free advertising on my channel but it also allows me to basically say what i want about a shoe um, within reason i don't i don't go around absolutely slating shoes if i don't like them um if if that does happen i tend to just message back the brand and say i'm really not getting on well with this product um would you like me to review it still and and most of the time they say oh it's probably best to to leave that one um but yeah i can't remember what the question was now but um yeah lucky enough to to try a lot of running shoes and that is a big part of the youtube channel and and i really enjoy that side of things and then when you go to places like the ASICS event, is that, again, you deciding to go there because it's a mutually beneficial opportunity for you to make content as well as them to yeah. get free marketing and stuff like that? Yeah, um, most of the time, I, these are not paid opportunities. They're just like, like you said, I can make good content from going out there. Um, often things like flights and accommodation are all covered. Um, so, yeah, that's a, it's a re always a really good opportunity to, to go out and make the content, which then I can earn a little bit of um, like ad revenue on YouTube and that side of things. And as the channel has grown, um, probably only over the last sort of two or three months, I've started to get some more paid opportunities. Um, so, for example, going to an event like the ASICS Metaspeed launch, and now I've got a bit more of a following. The brand can see the added value that my content can bring to them. Um, it kind of warrants me saying, oh, I'd like to get paid for this this type of content now. Um, and we can sort of have that conversation a little bit more now. So, yeah, the opportunity to, to make some more money from, from the running content side of things has definitely increased as the channel has sort of naturally grown over time. Um, but a lot of the stuff I do is still based on a, a gifting basis. And have you got any exciting things coming up what you can talk about or is most of it secretive if you have yeah, any? Yeah, so I've got two real big trips this year, which I can now talk about. Um, the first is um, going to Osaka at the end of February um, to run a marathon with Mizuno. So I'll be running in the the Wave Rebellion Pro, which is going to be um, really fun. I can't wait. I've never been to Asia, so that's going to be a, a mad trip. Um, and the other one is I'm doing a two-week training camp with uh, the Running Trips official. Um, I don't know if you've seen those guys on in Instagram. They do the the Kenya trips. Um, and they've... Yeah, they're sending me out to, to Kenya for two weeks to, to document that. A bit like, what um, I don't know if you saw the Welsh Runners uh, YouTube yeah. series on on going to, to Iten and, and documenting the process. Um, and yeah, thankfully this time in March will be be my turn to do that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I think every runner on the planet, if they are into training and 
seriously, I want to go out to Kenya at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's a goldmine for fitness as well as content for a YouTuber. So it's mm. a perfect mixture of everything. Like if you can get a video of Kipchoge somewhere or even just talking about training with Kipchoge, I feel like that's quite a cool video to make. Um, so I do that. I do that in a heartbeat as well. Um, with in terms of your inspiration with running, and I know you are quite new to the sport <laughs> still. Is there anyone like you look at, whether that's YouTubers or elite athletes where you sort of, I guess you're a big fan of or you take inspiration from. Is there anyone who falls into that bracket? Yeah, um, I think Seth uh, James Damore from from America was a big inspiration for me starting the YouTube channel. I found that I watch his, I still do watch his um, videos pretty much daily, um, and I just love following the, and along the process of his and seeing how he how he prepared for the key races. So he was definitely a big inspiration of mine um, in terms of the content side of things. Um, as I've started to make YouTube content more full time, I kind of have less time to consume content. So I don't find myself watching as much as I used to. Um, but yeah, the, the guys like the, the FOD runner, the Welsh runner, um, Cole running, um, Sweaterly, all these YouTube channels I really enjoy and, and still take a lot of inspiration from watching their videos and apply it to my, to my own training and my own videos. And yeah, it's a nice community to be, to be a part of. And have you got any uh, favourite elite athletes? Um, I don't really follow elite athletes like I do you, like YouTube runners, to be honest with you. Um, just the classics like Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Obviously, he's a, he's a gem in the running scene. I like to follow along with anything that he does and watch his races. Um, big uh, Eilish McColgan fan as well. I love the way she races. She's such a gutsy runner. Um, and it's nice that she's got a bit of a social media presence as well. So those are the two guys, I, guys and girls I probably look up to. So we're back after a quick right. intermission. Uh, intermittence. Uh, you've got some water to soothe your uh, sore throat. I, I did. I did see, and we were talking about it briefly before we start recording again. You have been, I guess, fighting flu for the past few weeks. How does that sort of affect your training and YouTube videos, if at all? Yeah, um, ever since Valencia, basically, um, I raced Valencia on December the 4th. And then after that, I've had a few colds, sniffles, um, maybe two two weeks ago now. I had um, what I think was the flu. I was in bed for, for a couple of days, so obviously I couldn't run um, during that period. Um, but yeah, it's definitely impacted my training. Um, I haven't really been able to string a proper training week together for the last six weeks. I think last week was the first time I finally was sort of able to get over the, the cold and, and get back to pretty much full training. But um, yeah, it's really set me back over the last sort of six weeks. And I think a lot of people have had it. It seems to linger and and it's not one of those colds that you have for maybe three or four days and then it clears up and you can basically get back to full training. It's one of those that sort of seems to have really impacted me. Even when it comes to like easy running, my heart rate's been about 10 beats higher than, than it usually would be. Um, and I feel, I feel like at the moment I've lost quite a bit of fitness from it. But I don't know if it's whether uh, it's just because the cold's basically still in my system or or not. But um, yeah, that's been fun over the last few weeks. So I think I had a similar experience in about September, October time where I was ill maybe for two weeks. And normally when I get ill, it comes back within a week. You, you know, you don't really lose any fitness or anything like yeah. that. But in October, I, it was midway through November and I was still felt shocking, like unfit. I wasn't ill anymore. Yeah. But I yeah. was just not, I just wasn't. And then it just clicked. Um, I think the first week of December, I had a taper week for a race. And then yeah. after that, I, I felt fine again. And it was like day and night, like just completely overnight transition back to how I was feeling before. So it is really interesting. Um, yeah, that, that's what I'm hoping will happen with me because um, I've had a few signs that um, like I'm getting better over the last few weeks. I've done a few sessions where they've actually gone well and have felt good. Um, but maybe the two or three weeks prior to that, the, everything has felt a bit of a slog. Um, so I'm hoping that one day it will just click um, and I'll be able to, to crack on again. But um, yeah, definitely impacted me over, over the last few weeks. I definitely noticed the biggest thing is like you said, also the heart rate thing. And this is for anyone who's listening. If you uh, have a GPS watch or a heart rate strap or can track heart rate, one good tip is to actually sleep in it. And you can catch an illness quite early if your heart rate's elevated uh, by a noticeable amount, let's say 10 beats per minute. Uh, if you can yeah. track your, your sleepy heart, sleep heart rate, normally your heart rate's higher, um, can signify that you're overtraining or that you're getting ill. So it might be good to track that and then 
dial down the training or, you know, try and focus yeah. on really boosting your immune system. Uh, if anything, that's, that, that's exactly what I've had to do because um, a lot of my training is, is threshold stuff. Um, and I like to keep my heart rate around the 170 beats per minute for those sort of intervals. Um, and at the moment, my pace for those inter- intervals is about uh, 10 to 15 seconds slower than it was um, even in December time. So I'm just having to adjust everything a little bit to, to make sure that I allow enough time for the body to recover from from whatever I've had um, that's clearly had an, an impact on my cardiovascular whatever system. So, um, yeah, wearing a heart rate monitor at night is definitely a good way of, of catching a cold maybe early before it then develops into something a bit more longer term and that, that's the beauty of training threshold is because it's an effort it's not an exact set pace so if you are feeling more fatigued or you're coming back from an illness your body will be working harder so rather than saying i'm doing this i'm doing five by a k at three minute per k you do i'm five i'm doing five by a k at threshold some days based on yeah. heart rate that that might be 10 seconds slower because yeah. of but it's still the same training load so it's very mm. important to manage training load especially when you've been ill as well yeah and I think that's probably been one of the main reasons why I've still been able to do some sort of training is because I train to effort and not paces. I think if I was trying to hit the paces that I was hitting before the illness, I would have overcooked myself and been ha- and had to have taken some time off. But um, yeah, thankfully, I've still been able to run pretty much every other day um, throughout the, the cold or the, the, the illness. Um, and yeah, like I said, finally getting back to some proper training now. So hopefully give me another two or three weeks and I'll be completely clear of, of this cold. But at the moment I've still got a bit of a dry cough and, and a tickly throat, but um, nothing that sort of impacts training too much now. So thankfully I've, I've had the last of that. And talking about training, um, aside from the often burst of trying to run, go flat out on the elliptical cross trainer, <laughs> uh, what, what's the general structure of your weeks looking like when you're not ill? um just like a, a standard week i know you document it a lot on youtube but just for yeah i guess my listeners and maybe might not be familiar with your training yeah so i often use the the double uh, threshold training principle i gave it a try last year just for basically um youtube's sake i wanted to make a youtube video on how the ingabritsons train um and i did it for maybe a three or four week period and i was like wow my my fitness is improving rapidly here um and i found it sort of applies to any distance that I race really anything from 5k up to the marathon I found that if I can improve the pace that I can maintain for an hour then everything else in terms of my PB sort of came down so it's something that I've I've stuck with pretty much ever since so a typical training week for me is Tuesday and Thursdays are my double threshold days so Monday's easy Tuesday double threshold Wednesday is a recovery day so I'll typically still run on that day but I'll make sure it's really low intensity then Thursday is double threshold and Friday, Saturday, easy. And then I do uh, the typical Sunday long run, um, which I usually run to effort based based on how I've, my body's felt in terms of overall fatigue from the, the week of training. Because, um, yeah, threshold training, you can get a lot of uh, good volume in there. Um, and sometimes your body is really fresh when it comes to that Sunday long run other t- other times maybe if you've overcooked a few sessions throughout the week you can be a little bit tired so I like to use my Sunday long run as a bit of a, a buffer if I'm feeling good I'll push them on but if I'm if I'm not feeling great I'll make sure I stick to an easier pace um so yeah that's a typical week for me at the moment is uh three days of hard training and and four days of easy running yeah and I think pretty, that's pretty, a good... pretty standard it's a good balance with threshold because it's not too overboard like if anyone was like oh you're doing four sessions a week if it's double day thresholds, people will be like, oh, that's too much. But with threshold, it's a very balanced and controlled effort. So, you, yeah. you know, there's lots of science behind it um, with the Ingebrigtsons and Marius Bakken, who was the founder of that sort of traditional method. And he talks about how the mechanics of threshold don't cause too much impact on your body. So then mm-hmm. you can recover fine. And hence why you can do double session days, uh, two days yeah. apart from each other twice. Um, mm-hmm. So that obviously I'm a big advocate for threshold training, I think. The results speak for itself and uh in the elite world a lot of people are doing a lot more of it now and seeing the same benefits because unfortunately it's running even though it's not as simple as this for some people it's generally the more you do obviously controlled the better you are but then you've also yeah. got to you've also got to combine that with avoiding injury and avoiding for too much fatigue so it's a balance but generally speaking if you can optimize optimize the balance of staying injury free and fatigue free 
or overly fatigued and just do more, you're going to get better. It's that yeah. simple. And that's the secret with, with threshold training, really. If anyone's looking at maybe giving it a go for the first time is you probably want to undercook the sessions, if anything. Um, as soon as you start going over your lactic threshold, that's when you start getting fatigued and the overall training volume is a bit too much to handle. So, yeah, as long as you're controlled in your in your threshold training, then you can handle quite a lot of, of volume, I find. Yeah, and just uh, I was going to keep this training tip secret for a while because I wanted to do a video on it when I learned about it more. But something I found in lockdown was by accident because I had a treadmill what wouldn't go fast enough, so I had to play around with the incline of the treadmill. And yeah. threshold uh, incline rather than pace. So let's say you you the tread let's say you set the treadmill to sixteen kilometers an hour, but you use a four point five or five percent incline. Um, yeah you're still getting the threshold effort. However, it increases the avoidance of injury risk. It it, it okay. lowers the injury risk because you're running uphill and the impact's less, but you're yeah. still getting the same time of threshold as well mm-hmm. as receiving the hill rep, running up a hill benefit, which is core because it engages more muscles and strengthening and efficiency. So it is something um, I highly recommend trying for anyone listening as well as yeah, you. Because sure. uh, I've noticed some ridiculous results when I had to do it. Um, I'd get on the flat and feel phenomenal, like the, mm. the next session. So it's what sort of pace difference would you change? So, like how much would you change varying on the the incline? So how like for example, my average threshold pace at the gym on the on the treadmill at the moment is about eleven miles per hour. So like what would how would you recommend adjusting that? Do you think? So there is some calculators, but I've found that they're quite uh, varied. So I've actually got a calculation for everyone that. Uh, Tim Mann, so coach Tim Mann, so Tom Schwartz, an American coach mm-hmm. who used to coach Tim Mann Elite, told me, so above 13 kilometers an hour, you already need to set it to 1% incline, generally speaking, to set the same effort. Uh, some yeah. treadmills are 0.5, some treadmills are zero. But generally speaking, when you're doing the incline, you add 1% onto what I'm about to say. So for <laughs> this is where it gets complicated. So what you would do is, let's say... I am doing, let's say I want to run three, three minute, 20 kilometers, which is 18 kilometers an hour, I believe. So yeah. if I want to run 18 kilometers an hour, I would do 18 kilometers an hour, which is a hundred and no, which is 200 seconds. I would get 200 seconds. And let's say if I set the treadmill at 16 kilometers an hour and wanted to convert the incline, 16, yeah. 16, 16 kilometers an hour is 225 seconds per kilometer so you do two you do 200 minus no you do 225 minus 200 and then that number you would divide by 9.32 and that gives you the incline you'd need to put it on and then you add what you add you add one percent onto that and you can reverse that so if you if you want to figure out exact paces you can times an incline by 9.32 and figure out the pace um i'll leave that in the description for anyone because it's quite complicated to listen to it um, yeah, that sounds good. I pro- probably have a little look at that myself. Yeah, it's it's, it's really really good. I've noticed significant improvements uh, and benefits from that, as well as avoiding injury risks uh, even more. So it is yeah, it's really good. But obviously, you go off time and not distance because you are running less. But like in a thirty six minute threshold, you climb like one thousand four hundred feet if if you do a normal incline, and that's a long way. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it is. It's really interesting. You're gonna get strong um, off that as well, aren't you? Absolutely. And your form, the efficiency of running up a hill engages different muscles and also makes you really focus on running with an efficient form. And when you get on flat, it feels, I'm sure you everyone's done it. Like as soon as you get on, even if you're doing weights and then you do the same movement without the weights, it feels very, very easy. Same with running up a hill on a treadmill. As soon as you run on the flat, it feels easy. So many different benefits yeah. to that. And to something that. I wanted to, to ask you about actually is um, your, your race you did at the weekend with, um, no other than the the world champion um was the was threshold training and this like um use of incline something you did before um the 3000 meters at the weekend um with no other than jay whiteman yeah so i, I generally do name threshold drop. quite a, I, I, yeah name drop definitely i definitely do threshold quite a lot and the incline threshold as well so yeah yes it's always a consistent thing in my training um but to the race with jake whiteman it was it's surreal because obviously he is the world champion and then before you know, I've raced people like Mark Scott before and some other big names like Andy Butcher, and it's like 
cool. But Jake Whiteman, yeah. now he is the world champion in the 15, which is, you know, kind of the prize event for distance runners at the minute. Yeah, um, definitely. It was funny because he was warming up and a camera was following him, following, following him around and he just looks elite. Like, it's it's sad to see his body and the way he runs. And it's like, yeah, it's obvious you're world champion because you look phenomenal when you're running. Yeah. Even though, even though he didn't win, uh, which is interesting. But yeah, and I mean... Still, yeah, we're talking about him. I was, yeah. I was, uh, I was seven seconds behind him in a race. So regardless of how I thought my performance went and uh, I was struggling with an illness before, so I was, I was very happy to even finish the race, never mind run a PB. Um, I ran 8.01, which I'm over the moon with. But to be seven seconds Great behind job. a world. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, I don't know how I did it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to be seven seconds behind him. And it was funny because afterwards he fell over, obviously, and he was completely done in. And I went yeah. to shake his hand and like, oh, do you want a hand getting up, mate? He was like, nah, I need to lie here for a bit. So I was like, okay. But um, so you nearly ran into him when you come across the line. I watched the video and he was like still on the floor when you come through the line. And yeah, I would have really e- stood on him. I would have easily ran sub eight if he if he wasn't blocking the finish. Easy. Yeah, it's de- definitely it. would have been the case. That that one you point had to go one, around him, didn't you? Yeah, massively. I, I I saw it coming down the home straight, and I was like, I need to make a move out now. Completely took me off no, my relay too. Slow me down by at least two seconds, you know. Uh, hopefully, people understand that sarcasm. I know you have to be, you have to be careful with jokes sometimes because uh, we do this a lot on Instagram. It's like when we post something, not realizing yeah. that people have a different perspective on sarcasm, and people are like, "Oh, what are you doing? Why are you saying that?" I was like, "It's blatant, yeah. a joke." Yeah, it's clearly a joke, but they haven't taken it that way. Generally, American audience don't have the same sarcasm as British, uh, yeah. which is no, which is no disrespect to them. It's just a different way of looking at things, I guess. Um. Back to you and your, I, I want to talk about short-term goals, running and YouTube and any other commercial opportunities and long-term goals, you know, maybe the next 10 years. Do you have any, let's start with running first. Do you have any short-term yeah. goals of running other than obviously the Osaka uh, marathon with Mizuno? Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to do my, my running goals like once a year. Um, so uh, I think this year one of my main goals is to try and break 30 minutes for the 10k, um, which will be a pretty big ask for me. Um, this the year just gone, I broke 15 minutes for the 5k for the first time, um, running 14:57. So I just scraped under. Um, and this year, I'd like to get myself in a in into fitness to to really have a go at that um, 30 minute barrier. Um, I'm, my current PB is 30:56, so I've got a good 56 seconds there to to knock off before I get. Um, anywhere near it but um, yeah I I hope that I can get at least a little bit closer this year over the 10k distance Um, my other main goal is is over the marathon Um, I want to get a lot closer to to 220 which is where I think my potential is over the marathon Um, my debut I ran 228 and then I went out into Valencia to try and run 220 which in hindsight now is probably a little bit on the quick side um, for current fitness so yeah, to run something like 225, 224 for the marathon this year, a PB at the end of the day um, is also a, another priority when it comes to, to running. Um, yeah. How about yourself? Any big goals? It's hard. It's hard to de- decipher that because um, with me, like end of 2021, when I ran a 290610, I, I improved a lot in 2021. So I was like, next yeah. year, I'm really going to improve again and you know maybe look at start trying to get professional contracts and it just didn't yeah. happen like i didn't get the races i wanted to do i was ill at the wrong times never got to race quicker so again i'm avoiding looking at time specific goals i'm more looking yeah. at process goals in terms of there. getting better and getting stronger yeah. and that's sometimes what i found when i improved drastically in in 2018 2019 i was like my goal is to get stronger and more aerobically mm. fit, whatever that presents itself to me, yeah. then that will happen. So that's the goal. Just get at the minute it's getting stronger with gym. I've only just started doing gym, plyometrics, and um, continue what I'm doing with the mileage. Try and incorporate a bit more speed in there as well, and mm-hmm. uh, see where that goes. But ultimately, the end goal is to get a professional contract, which just takes yeah. a lot of. Even though I'm obviously supported by sports shoes and Adidas at the minute, it's a lot nicer to have. A professional contract where you're getting paid so then you don't have yeah. to worry about the finances of running it's just yeah, straightforward sure. and also training camps opportunities like that come around for that but i, I do want to go at the end of the day will make you a better runner as well when you've got those opportunities and and support systems in place so yeah best yeah. of luck with that and i think 
I'm sure you can relate to this, being accountable for your running because of a YouTube standpoint uh, helps um, just the same as maybe being accountable if you had a contract. Because you rely on filming yourself, you hold yourself to a higher accountability, what maybe some other people wouldn't uh, do yeah, generally, sure. which I'm sure helps uh, stick to, to sessions and stuff like that. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think long term, have you got any like, you know, looking forward next one to five, ten years? Is it just progressing or is there anything to particularly? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, to be honest with you, it's just trying to keep the YouTube um, channel at a place where it um, allows me to continue training. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's kind of why I one of the main reasons I do YouTube now is just to support myself to basically train as a full time athlete. Um, I'm almost I'm almost sort of like carved the way for myself to basically have a professional contract I don't have one I'm not linked to any brand but by working with lots of brands and building my own sort of brand I've I've been able to create sort sort of like different sources of revenue um and so yeah my goal in terms of YouTube is to just slowly grow the channel and hopefully more opportunities um will come my way um yeah maybe, maybe 10 years down the line if a professional contract is on the table um and I've I've progressed um to that level then that would be great but um it's not necessarily like a, a make or break for me i think just continue what i'm doing I, I really enjoy my sort of space in the in the running world in the running community um and i'm quite happy in in my lane if you if you know what i mean so um yeah just keep continuing that and and stay passionate about that side of things and i should have asked this earlier and obviously not uh going to in, going into specifics but i'm sure anyone who's listening who wants to take the youtube or content creator route uh, in terms yeah. of commercial and monetization opportunities, you've got AdSense from YouTube and let's say podcasts as well. You've got affiliate links. Uh, you've got brand yeah. deals. Is there anything else I'm missing out of that, what you currently do uh, or um, any other? No, not really. Uh, maybe retainer. Sometimes I, with a few a few brands, um, I get paid monthly um, to do certain certain like uh, Instagram posts or include them in YouTube videos, that side of things. But that kind of links to to affiliate stuff um yeah there's there's a lot of different ways to to make money from from the content side of things you're never going to be rich in terms of running youtuber um or maybe one day but um i don't personally see myself ever having like a mega buck salary you know being able to buy flashy things or anything like that but um you can definitely if you if you work hard make enough money to to sustain training full time that's for sure um and i'm hopefully looking at funding some some training camps myself now um purely from my from the youtube side of things so yeah it can be done but it's there's not like thousands and thousands of pounds in it um at least not to my knowledge at my at the moment and at my current level um so i probably wouldn't advise people like getting into the running content side of things um unless you're really passionate about that anyway you know it's not I wouldn't suggest doing it just purely as a career choice. Um, you've got to be passionate about it as well and, and enjoy the process of filming your videos. And what I like about your channel specifically is I, I often speak to people. I've said this to my girlfriend as well, because she's like, why don't you film more? Why don't you do more? I'm not in a place where I can film myself vlogging a session. Like, I wish I was. Yeah. And I admire you for doing that because it's very hard. And I don't think people realize how hard it can be. But yeah, I always say sometimes you've got to sell your dignity to make YouTube videos and you don't do that, which is what I love, but how tempted have you been in the past to just chase the bag and just start a coaching business from your YouTube and just get people yeah. on subscriptions. And obviously that it would be selling your dignity if you yourself didn't feel like you do justice of coaching, but how tempted, cause that's where the money is. It's YouTube yeah, in front sure. of coaching. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of, of things that I could do to make more money and make it more commercial. Um, for example, like merchandise, merchandise as well. That would be huge if I had, if I just basically used every video that I make as an opportunity to promote my merchandise. Um, I could probably make a lot more money than I'm than I'm doing at the moment. Same comes with coaching. Um, I get a lot of inquiries of people saying, um, "Would I consider coaching them?" Um, and at the moment, uh, I still think of myself as pretty new to the running world. I've only been a runner for like three or four years, so I still don't know. In, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of training principles, um, racing certain distances, I don't really know a lot, so if I'm totally honest, in terms of the coaching side of things. So for the time being, it's not something I, I'm in, that interested in. Um, I'm quite happy with sort of almost 
not coaching people, but offering tips and, and basically sharing how I do things on my YouTube channel. And if people want to take, take away things from, from that content side of things, then they're more than welcome to, but um, yeah, there's no sort of hard sell on, on training plans or um, getting people like onto um, what's it, what's the other way of doing it? Uh, Patreons, anything like that. I just, I like, I like the way things are set up at the moment in terms of I make running YouTube content. If people watch it, um, then that's great. And, and hopefully I can make some money from, from doing that. But um, yeah, maybe again, 10 years down the line, I might look at doing coaching more full time when I've got a bit more experience myself, but um, I'm certainly not going to start doing training plans and, and coaching athletes until I feel like I'm in a position where I, I know enough basically myself. I really admire that because um there's some influencers on YouTube who I'm like, I'm not going to name names, obviously, but I'm like, what do you know about coaching? What, what justifies yeah. you to, obviously it's to make the money, but people buy into it because they see them making YouTube videos thinking they hundred percent know what they're talking about. There's some influencers yeah. like Callum Elson, like Becky Briggs, who know how to coach and know how to train people. So yeah. it's, it's blurry to assume that everyone knows how to do that. And yeah, for sure. I get really annoyed when I see, influencers who are injured every other every other month due to an impact injury or something like that marketing coaching because they don't know what they're doing um and people just trust yeah. that they do because they make youtube videos and i think another alternative is and it's kind of blowing up at the minute on let's run and stuff is I guess that the best athletics sweat elite model where sweat elite came in marketed best athletics and got a lot of coaching clients from that um yeah. not to go into more detail on that because it's currently falling like a house of cards it's uh not a good situation i don't think because they're both airing it out publicly or the other yeah. one of the sides is which again i'm not going to speak about but that's another way to do it as well is partnering with a coaching platform or partnering with any platform it's just the same i guess with affiliate links where you're promoting a shoe and sometimes you might get commission from a shoe yeah. which unfortunately if anyone's listening commercial opportunities and affiliate links in running are quite difficult sometimes to navigate like uh the quite yeah. location specific sometimes like we've got one with nike just for the uk which is a shame because if you had it globally there'd be a lot of sales there so hopefully that's something yeah. to improve and give people steps to become a running influencer uh, easier which yeah i think going back to how people have come up to you and said you've got them to start running again and got them into running the more people who can do that for people and make a living out of that the better the sport is going to be as a whole because more people are interested and more people yeah, are sure. starting running, which is from a, for even from like a social perspective, people are healthier if they're running generally. So the more people who can inspire people to run is a, a net positive, really. 100%, yeah. And that's, we could probably do another podcast on that. But um, one of the things I really want to focus the channel in terms of content over the next few years is as I get closer to becoming an elite athlete myself, is sort of trying to bridge the gap a little bit between your park runners who who go along to their weekly park run they love running they talk running but they wouldn't know who jake whiteman is for example um trying to think of of ways to sort of get the a little bit more spotlight on the elite side of things because there are these athletes out there that absolutely sell their soul to the sport and are virtually unknown unsponsored unsupported um despite being phenomenal athletes themselves so yeah definitely something i want to do moving forward is is try and create a way that um we can sort of bridge the gap a little bit more. And, and I guess podcasts like this are, are great ways of doing so. Um, I, with my podcast now, hopefully I'm looking to introduce some, some guests eventually and I can have sort of elite athletes there and, and typically people that follow my YouTube side of things um, are not interested in, in the elite side of things. So it would be nice to, to try and work on that um, moving forward. So I guess that fills under the, the running goal, the YouTube goals as well is to try and make some content that, that grows the sport basically. Dun, dun, dun. You... I don't know where that's coming from. I'm <laughs> so confused. What is happening? I'm going to get copyright strikes for that now. Um, sounded like a no... little um, kid's toy or something. You pressed a button I... on something. No, I have no clue where that came from. That is a very, that's a mystery. That is the strangest thing. There's no reason. That sound has never played before in my entire life. And there's no nothing in this room what could make that sound. So I'm slightly concerned. I think it's your, your new intro or your new outro. Maybe. I'll I'll Go I'll ahead. back 
I'll put that in. Maybe you should do that as well. Some nice little uh, classical music over some some fresh old reps around that industrial <laughs> estate you go on. Sounds good. That is a runner's dream, by the way. I get I I'm I'm very hateful of you for being able to run around that loop when I uh, see it on YouTube. Because I'm like, yeah, it is good. I, I wish I could run around that. Um, the last thing I do want to ask you, and this probably should have been fitted earlier on into the podcast, and we have touched on it where. Uh, followers have come up to you but as a whole i want i want a best experience and a worst experience what has been your best experience so far from the youtube and the running side of things it might just be running related it might not have to be youtube as well what's the best and uh, is there anything what you can talk about what's been potentially the worst yeah um it's a good question um there's been a lot of highs over the last few years in terms of opportunities that have come my way um the biggest opportunity was probably going out to the Bo- to watch the Boston Marathon with Puma um, and I got that opportunity through the guys at Pro Direct which I'm hope- hopefully looking to to work with a lot more in the in the future um, going along to events like that and having the the access to athletes and and things that normal people wouldn't wouldn't get is yeah is, is, is incredible same goes with um, the A6 event I did last year the uh, meta time trial um, being being in an environment where I've got to interview Eilish McColgan, uh, Mo Katir, um, as somebody who just sits at home making YouTube videos, that was a little bit surreal um, and definitely a high point for me. In terms of low point, um, unfortunately, I don't want to talk about it too much. There was I have had um, like one troll, basically, who's said some horrible things about me online. I've, I've blocked him now and, and stuff like that. Um, and he's also commented in like some of the running communities um, I'm part of. So... Um, he's from my hometown, this guy, and he basically doesn't like what I'm what I'm doing on YouTube. He's got the uh, in his head that I'm basically on YouTube saying I'm the best runner in the world. Look at me, I'm an elite runner. Blah 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 blah. Um, when in reality, if he watched any of my content, he'd know that that's not at all what I'm about. Um, uh, but unfortunately, yeah, that has been maybe one of the downsides of it is is there is some negativity online, obviously with sharing anything. Um, like I do and as much as I do. So I just have to be a little bit careful now with things like um, on Strava, making sure that the, the uh, runs I do are private at the beginning and the end. And and um, same comes with, with YouTube videos, making sure I don't film like outside my house, basically, just in case anything like this um, did escalate and become, you know, something that I'd have to be a bit more cautious of. But um, on the grand scheme of things, it is absolutely great. I'm very lucky to, to be doing what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, I love it so much at the moment. So uh, yeah, I hope that continues. It's crazy that we live in a world where that has to happen. And then there's people who are like that because they're just so far from actual reality that the things they're saying make zero sense. And you're like, I don't know how you've come to yeah. those conclusions. I don't know why you're obsessed with me or yeah. the situation. Strange, it, it, yeah. it, but that's why you've got to be careful because so many people can be extremely volatile and potentially dangerous. So it's hard, yeah. especially when you get more famous, Fam- famous, like, you know, in the running world, uh, it's hard following, to, yeah. it's hard to navigate that and stay safe because you would never even think about having to make your Strava runs private and not filming outside no, your house. Yeah. Unfortunately, so, that's the world we live in. But um, yeah, and that is a very, very minor thing that, that I have, that's a downside of, of the YouTube and running scene. But um, there's so many positives that come from it. Um, so yeah, if anyone's thinking of doing it and you enjoy that process of, of filming and documenting, then then go for it. You know, I definitely would encourage more people to get involved. And is, is there any um, last words you'd want to say to people maybe looking to get into it, like you just said, but also anything you want to end with what might uh, go along with uh, like run to inspire, inspire to run or whatever they're saying yeah. is? Um, yeah, funny you should say that. Actually, that, that saying sort of came about as almost a way to motivate myself as well as a good way to end my videos. So for me, aspire to run is like aspiring to be the best runner that I can be. And, and that's all I, at the end of the day, that's all I want to do is be the best version of myself when it comes to running. So if it's like break, like I said, breaking 30 minutes with a 10 K this year, if nothing else happens this year, that's my, my goal. And I'd love to do that. Um, and if that inspires other people to get involved in the sport, then, then that's brilliant. But um, yeah, that's, that's where the motto comes from. Aspire to run, run to inspire. Um, and hopefully by me documenting what I'm doing, I can encourage more and more people to get involved with the sport and at the end of the day, grow the, the sport that, that we both love. 
um, often doesn't get enough sort of recognition, especially like we we touched on today and on the elite side of things. Um, so yeah, I like I like to continue to do my part in the sport, and hopefully we can, along along with with Trackster, we can grow the sport and get things moving in the right direction. And not that you need this. Um, I'm pretty sure everywhere is Ben is running on YouTube and Instagram, as well as the podcast yeah. Run It Freeways, which features Callum Elson and Tom Tom Folan Tom Folan uh, from Pro Direct. So is that is that correct? Yeah, it yeah. used to be a very interesting dynamic that podcast because you've got uh, Callum Elson is obviously progressing drastically in the I guess sub elite elite level now, and then you've got Tom yeah. who. Used to be a football freestyler and now works in commercial aspect of running with ProDirect. Yeah. And yourself who's kind of in a, a mixture of both of those sort of areas uh, yeah, to some sure. degree. So it is yeah, very really interesting enjoying podcast. that side of things. Um, yeah, we've got weekly episodes. So if uh, if I had the opportunity to plug anything, it would be go and watch the go and watch, go and listen to the uh, Run It Three Ways podcast, which you can find on Spotify and, and Apple Podcasts. We just filmed episode four last night, and I think it's probably the best one so far. So if you want to watch any of them, then uh, yeah, give episode four a, a listen. Yeah, they definitely help me on my uh, midweek runs. Uh, it's quite nice the time they release because it's normally the next day I listen to it. Normally the most miserable run of my uh-huh. of my week. And I just pop my headphones in and and just get through it. Yeah, it's a good, I, it's I a do good love run. a good podcast. It definitely helps with those runs that you, you can't really be bothered for, doesn't it? Just having yeah. something to listen along to. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, love a good podcast. So, yeah, thank you for coming on. Uh, and everyone, thank you for listening. Um, like I said, all links in the description for Ben. And uh, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And goodbye. Thank you very much, mate.